Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit Is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit Is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store. All right, back in full effect, we are in the Detroit Is Different podcast studios. Yes, sir. And uh, it is December getting colder but uh just because it's getting colder don't necessarily mean we not still rolling in detroit style uh right now i got somebody uh if you know me you may definitely identify me more as a hip-hop artist and every hip-hop artist needs a dj this is my dj drummer b how you feeling all is well how about you my g everything's cool man everything's cool so these detroit is different discussions usually start off where I kind of take people back to the start of that Detroit story. Mm-hmm. Um, how did your family end up moving to Detroit? They end up moving to Detroit through, on my mother's side, through my great-grandmother Okay. and my great-grandfather. So they've been here some generations then. Through, from the 50s, mm-hmm. I know that for okay. sure. What, uh, do you know what neighborhood they stayed in when they moved here? Yes, uh, Vermont and mm-hmm. McGraw. So, like, Zone okay. 8. Okay. So, that whole Zone 8 area, as we know, Northwestern's neighborhood, uh, mm-hmm. you know, real close to, it, it's not by the number <clears throat> streets, it's not across the bridge, it's not 12th Street, but it is adjacent to 12th Street and all of that. Um, what what was that neighborhood? Why do you think they chose that neighborhood? Hmm. That's a good question. Considering, like, how it didn't change so much since mm-hmm. I've seen it in just in my lifetime. Uh-huh. The stories I hear uh, how it was back then, how flourishing it was and vibrant, like neighborhood-wise and businesses. You know, <clears throat> maybe it was a good environment and it was affordable at the time. Uh-huh. Um, I'm going to have to find out exactly why, but that's that's probably what I would All right, think. what about your dad's side? On my dad's side, uh, my family was from Mississippi. Okay. From there, I just found my dad, believe it or not, last year. I didn't know him all my life, and I just found this out. So I just figured out that I came from Mississippi, and my grandfather came here um, in the 30s. So I'm just learning more on that side, too. Okay. All right. What was it like meeting your dad for the first time grown as ever? Well, I I didn't meet him in person. I met him over the phone, and uh, it was crazy because— all the similarities that we had and things in common mm-hmm. that, you know, I just been doing all my life or that's just been a part of me. It was somehow like a little connection there, even to my siblings, you know, found out I got like nine siblings too, man. It's crazy. All in the Detroit area or Detroit, um, Texas, hmm. um, Illinois, yeah, everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So as this continues, we, we talk about your dad. Your <clears throat> mom was somebody I knew, and your mom passed. Sort of like my mom. Your mom passed before my mom, um, but she was very, very instrumental in your life. Yes, yes. Uh, and a creative in her own right on multiple levels. Yes, yes. So talk a little bit about that relationship with your mom, as I didn't even – I just mentioned you're a DJ, mm-hmm. but – music was something your mom pushed you into how did how did that get going believe it or not my first uh dj gig she hired me for 
because um, she worked as a coordinator for First Congregational Church for uh, almost like 10 years, mm-hmm. a nice period of time. And um, she gave me my first gig for $75 on Angel's Night, which used to be Devil's Night. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> that motivated me right there just as a DJ. Like, you know, I can get paid for this. I could do it. Also, musically, she gave me that space, you know, where I could zone out. Um, I was able to go into the old records she had and my grandmother had that she gave to my mom. Mm-hmm. My mom kept them up. <clears throat> and once I got interested into the music, uh, she let me go ahead and go through those records and let me be curious and all of that. Uh, when it was time to get a equip- get the equipment, you know, I'm like, Mom, I want to get this MPC. And she like... Boy, you ain't even got no car yet. You know, to get an MPC, them boys was like twelve hundred dollars. You know, I'm like fourteen, fifteen. But um, she was just like, you know, you work up for it. You work, do your chores, and I did all type of odd jobs, and eventually I got there. You know, so she was just always instrumental in um, pushing me. But she wanted to make sure I earned it. You know, things and- like that. And the MPC, for anybody <coughs> listening, and I own one as well, if you created hip-hop, I would say in the 90s to mid-2000s, you probably definitely own one of these machines. Oh and you've probably seen these machines. So it's a machine with 16 gray buttons usually, yeah. and it has like a tan color, uh-huh. and it is the sample-based machine for all hip-hop artists. Man. That machine... But before the MPC, a lot of people use the SSL. That means they like a real old school cat in music. The SP twelve. Yep. Yep. But the MPC was a fixture in everybody's studio that we saw as children, from DJ Premier to Dr. <laughs> oh, Dre yes. to uh, right Manny, now Manny Fresh. Yeah, oh, that was my man. Stevie J to hit me. I mean, Stevie J probably less known for production now, but yeah, yeah. Pharrell. Neptunes, yes. All of those guys, when I used to look in the source and you look in the studio, you always seen that NPC. you like, dog, what is that? That must be it, you know. And the unique thing about an NPC is it actually comes with maybe about 10 sounds that are horrible. Yes. See, yes. That was the thing. See, that's what, <laughs> that's a whole, the whole little generational gap because you didn't come with no sound kit. No. You had to make your sounds. We was... I used to sample other people's drums and, and have to cut them up yes. and make my own bank of kicks. Then I have to go and find my own claps, mm-hmm. my own ticks, you know, like all of that. And then it was, I was using floppy discs. So That's to exactly save a beat, how, yeah, one beat would like be nine discs sometimes. And yep. if you don't load it in the correct order, then it would sound like, yes, <laughs> it would sound very strange. But this was production and you picked all of this up at the age of 14 yeah yep yep right around because uh i was in band uh i grew up actually drawing first but the music came at interest and i just went heavy and this is pre-youtube too so yeah tutorials of learning is usually you had to find somebody that knew how to use one and get them to come over to your house yep yep or be around or something you know you got a cousin or a homie it was a homie in the neighborhood who had one because at the time, like, uh, friends of mine was doing, like, credit card scams. And mm-hmm. they was buying jerseys and all of this crap. I'm like, dog, why ain't none of y'all trying to get no equipment? You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm trying to get them to get equipment. My homie was like, 
man, I keep seeing you trying to get that. You know such and such got one. Hmm. Finally found out, like, uh, it was one in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. and um, the homie Kenny Mack was older than me at the time, and th- they was the older guys, so my mom was like, you know, you ain't about to be hanging with them, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. But I'm like, my, you got the MP, you gonna pay that 1200 What you gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> so I would have to work all week doing chores and, you know, cleaning the house, watching my siblings, and, like, on Saturday, she'd be like, I'll let you go for two hours over there. You know, so in that two hours, I'm in there, like, trying to learn everything as uh-huh. best as I can. And then I only got an hour to actually play. Yep. So that was thinking, like, I didn't have no YouTube to go back. No. I had to remember what he told me. He would get mad if he had to repeat himself because he wanted to go back and finish playing the game, playing live. Mm-hmm. So after he showed me, he'd be like, that's it. I had to remember that shit and. Keep it going, man. It was some nah, good that, time. That's the as you talk about the journey, and I can relate because just as a hip hop artist, that's the journey of a hip hopper. Like mm-hmm. a teenager in the basement of somebody that's probably selling weed. Yep. <laughs> yep. Easy. And and they bringing their girlfriends <clears throat> over. They could care less about you working on music, but that's what you had to do when you didn't have equipment. Yeah, everybody was in the room playing the game, and I was in the other room. Trying to make beats Also cause I was shy too Like I didn't want nobody Hearing what I was doing And nothing mm. That was that first phase too You know It's funny just thinking About all of that now <laughs> So So you go back to Your learning through Kenny Mack Who's in your neighborhood mm-hmm. And your neighborhood Is kind of connected to me As I'm the president Of Northwestern alumni And that's Northwestern's neighborhood So some of the people Like Flight And Flat And and Brown was even over there And Antwele It's a lot of Cats that kind of interconnected through those neighborhoods. Well, well, on that, I moved to the uh, Cass Corridor, mm-hmm. 92, you know, okay. around that time. And I went to Edmondson Elementary, then I went to UPS Middle School, then I went to Northern High School. Mm. So uh, that neighborhood, the Calumets, those townhouses, uh-huh. that's where I was staying. And that's where uh, I ended up meeting Kenny Mack. So, you know, you had like, Calumets, you had Freedom Place, you had the Brewsters, Research, like that's all my neighborhood at that time, and that's where I was growing up with with those guys. Yeah, the Freedoms, the Jeffries, we're we're talking about public public housing of Detroit. That's right, uh, right in the center. Yeah, (laughs) back in the day. You said Northern. Yeah, I ended up going to Northern, and my mom ended up taking me from that area because my friends at the time, I was getting a lot of trouble with just in – elementary and that's what was so special because <clears throat> she seen it then like in fifth grade right before i went to middle school instead of going to pelham she like no you about to go to ups and that's where i was going to say why did you end up going to not going to murray Wright? that's why because okay. my friends and you know it's so funny because um my two best friends in fifth grade at that time one is dead and the other one was in jail for a long time so, you know, I just be thinking about that. Like, my mama seen something, and she like, I'm going to just take you away. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad because that's where I was able to grow that interest into my music and all of that. So what was Northern like uh, when you were going there? Uh, Murray and Northern are high schools that are not closed, but what mm-hmm. was Northern like when you went there? Northern, uh, it was cool. You know, it seemed like all schools, they all are. It's a lot of bad schools in the city, but, you know, before you go to them, 
you always just hear all the worst of the worst of. You be like, man, you don't want to go to Northern. You know, it be getting, it be going down. Or you go to Murray. So I was already like, man, I'm about to go to Northern. But you know, it is what it is. But once I got there, it was cool. Um, I did swimming. Um, I had um, Votech, so I was only there half of the time anyway. What Votech? I went to Bright Off, and I did that for three years, so I was able to graduate early. Because you know, when you go to Votech, you get like. Uh, three credits at a time, you know. Mm-hmm. So doing that, uh, 10th, 11th, and 12th, I was able to leave. But Northern was cool, though. Like, I made a lot of good people, a lot of good friends. Uh, some of my friends from middle school and elementary, um, people from the North End, you know, good experience. Yeah, because it's a staple in the North End. And what vocation did you take up at Bright Hop? Um, manufacturing technology. I was doing CAD work. Um we was doing uh, CNC work, uh, robotics. Uh, it was crazy. I I went hard in that for a minute too, and it was a lot of opportunities. Uh, Lawrence Tech for college. Um, I could have went that route with it, but it was just <clears throat> I didn't really want to go that route. Yeah, I didn't want to go that route. I looked at it like career wise, like the money was good, but I just didn't really want to go. So after high school, where were you at? I went to uh, Baker College for a year for marketing, left there, and ended up going to Specs Howard for uh, broadcasting and TV. And um, Specs was cool. Did that for like two semesters, but they got it to where um, they had this thing to if you had below a C. And if you fail any classes once, you get on this academic probation where you have to start all over and you have to wait to the next semester to start if it's a seat available. So once I failed through my broadcast writing and they were like, you got to wait these semesters, I didn't go back. But what was good, um, just the experience I got, I was interning Channel 2, uh, interned at the radio stations, just learning the technical sides. Uh, that part of it, <clears throat> especially on the television end of it, it was cool. And one thing they used to say is uh, the people you meet here, you'll always go meet later in life somewhere in the industry. Mm-hmm. One of y'all going to help each other. And, man, I, they weren't lying. I do be seeing people from that class all the time doing different stuff. Okay. So from there, where do you – start making your progressions as an artist or is this all happening simultaneously yep so i was leaving you know um getting ready to graduate high school making my music and um when i went to college i was kind of mad because i didn't have my own equipment yet i knew i was leaving from the studio so i kind of took a pause on it once i came back home from school i got back to making music my whole goal was just trying to get an mpc and that's when um, I linked up with my cousin, Firstborn, because, like, right during college and kind of the end of high school, I was periodically going to, like, some of the open mics at Alvin's because I was still kind of too young, couldn't really come out yet. And uh, he was always just telling me about stuff at the studio he was doing. <clears throat> so I ended up buying my first MPC from him. I saved up my $400. And I uh, brought it from him. Screen broken on. So when you talk about Firstborn, 
Firstborn is an MC, promoter, um, and a networker. He connects people to different things. Mm-hmm. Your cousin is somebody that always is in the mix of ideas, projects, uh, and different programming happening around hip hop. Yeah. Yes. And this was your 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 Flint your family. Like yeah. it, and you always knew he was like in hip hop and doing these things? Well he's not my family by blood. Mm-hmm. My grandmother and his mother, they grew up with each other. Uh-huh. My older cousins and him, like they've been with each other since kids, going to high school. So I always knew him as my big cousin because he's always been around. Okay. So not by blood but family. Mm-hmm. Connected for sure in the neighborhoods, and growing up, <clears throat> uh, a lot of my family uh, was into music, especially in the hip hop. Mm-hmm. But first, uh, he was the one who just went a little further, and he was always involved industry-wise in some type of way. Mm-hmm. He'd be telling me stories like he with Keith Murray or he's hearing Cali out at the studio and doing stuff for Proof. And I just be like, man, like so close, like I want to, I like to get there, or like I just want y'all to hear these beats, uh-huh. you know. So that was my like introduction also to the Detroit scene and all of that, because I didn't even wasn't even aware, because you know, I'm sure like you too, uh, as a kid in high school, you just off of the mainstream music, you know what I'm saying? Like it was Bad Boy at the time and mm-hmm. all of that. Uh, being around cuz, that's how I learned about the scene. Like, damn, like, Detroit is got some stuff going on, Jay Dilla. We got this whole hip-hop scene. We got – I started veering off, and it's like, okay, started getting deep. <clears throat> so that veering off and getting deep, did you just uh, end up working with your cousin often? Uh, did you get him some beats? What What was the next step? What move were you making? The next step was building my studio. I was still with my mom's in the basement. So I was once I got my drum machine, I got my mic, got my receiver and all that. So I was able to go like full production in my own crib now, and uh, yeah, like making tapes and CDs. Cause the whole thing at that time, you used to you had to always have a CD ready, cause you never know where you'll be. <clears throat> it ain't like how you could play it off your phone or something, you know. You had to always have a CD ready. So that's what was my thing at home doing and just trying to be around so that opportunity when it presents itself like oh i got my cd right here Mm -hmm. (laughs) so what was that first big opportunity uh we did this uh proof had a uh promotional show i think like uh with remy and it was in milwaukee it was a battle and that was also like my first time going on the road to do something and uh it was cool Take that back. Wait, I'm sorry, I got lost in it. Okay, the question. So your first big opportunity. Okay, you like sorry. you on the road, Milwaukee. Right, yep. yep, we was in Milwaukee. Um, everything was cool. I was excited about the whole experience. Then after the show, we went to a studio session, and um, they was trying to pick beats. And then uh, he was like, "Who got some beats?" And I was like, "I got my CD." He was like, "Drum, you got some? You got some beats?" Put the CD in. It's like the third track. He liked it. Then they started writing to it. It was him. It was uh, my man's uh, from Milwaukee. Uh, 
and my homeboy from iMac. Um, Hash, my man's Hash. Sorry, Hash, what's up, G? Hash, the dude from Milwaukee and Proof. That was that big opportunity, and that was dope. I got it, too. Still got that track. Okay, so they dropped the track, and this is like straight tracking, because I know you didn't track it out or nothing like that. It was two-track. Man, yeah. to this day, I'd be like, man, if I had that tracked out, I would have had the yeah. drums on there. Yeah, but it was two-track. Right. But it still came out pretty decent, though. And for the people listening, like when you do music, tracked out is definitely something producers really care about because that means you can turn down drums or turn up horns or turn off strings in certain yes. sections and stuff. Usually rappers in the classic rap scenario, rappers are Don't like, I'll rap over anything. And see, that's that was the elevation, the evolution from when I left from um, my homeboy room to having my own stuff and you being around other people because when you're trying to sell beats that's when you learn they be like so uh you got the track you got it tracked out and you be like tracked out well, i can't buy it from you if i can't eq it yeah and that's when i learned like oh man like i gotta start saving my beats right you know i gotta spend some more money and give me a better drive and you know i gotta put more time into saving my sounds individually when i'm making my beat and not just putting it all together so that that changed me too just learning that, like, you know, to get more professional because I wanted to start making money. Mm -hmm. So from that beat to proof, what happened next? Uh, so this is still during the Iron Fist time. Um, during that time, he was putting together that hand-to-hand mixtape, too. And um, he was planning to do a tour. Um, and at this time, I'm still just... Being an engineer, um, the DJ for the whole label, for Iron Fist, just as far as for Wolfpack, Super MC, and for Purple Gang. And Iron Fist is the record label connected with Proof, Deshaun Porter, rest in peace. And Proof is a lot of, we'd say, like the mayor of Detroit when it comes to Detroit hip-hop. He was yes. uh, someone that connected with, like, as you say, like the black backpack rappers and the party rappers, the trap rappers, the gangster rap, like Proof was a gateway for that as he hosted almost every open mic you could think of for Shoot. Detroit rap. Yeah, because open mics weren't really no thing yet. Like it wasn't, it wasn't no, no worldwide thing like that or nothing. That was just something we was doing here. And the world kind of knows Proof is the guy that's Eminem's best friend. Now, I mean, that's, I think, how most people package him. But mm -hmm. Detroit definitely looks at him a lot different. And really, <clears throat> even in Detroit hip-hop, it was Proof's validation of Eminem that gave Eminem access to Detroit hip-hop yeah. more so than anything else. Very true. I also um, look at Proof. He was hope and inspiration for people because... Mm -hmm. You were seeing, that's what he was for me. This was somebody I see on MTV, music videos, awards. Mm -hmm. Then I see him right here in front of me. He giving me a chance just like anybody else, you okay. know. So it's like, it make you feel like, man, like, I can do this too. It ain't, you know, this person just like me. And all <clears throat> those personalities, when you think about Iron Fist, you got the Purple Gang, you got, which you which uh, we definitely know that Firstborn is a part of that. Mm -hmm. You also had uh, uh, Super MC. Yep. You yep. also had Versus. You also had the Wolfpack, too. 
Yeah. And you were the official DJ of everybody? It started off, you know, with first being my cousin. He like, you need you should be the uh, DJ for Purple Game. So that's how it started off, just the DJ for Purple Game. But once we was doing shows, and when we would do shows, it would be the whole label. And Proof would be the main person in ending the show. So once the Purple Gang can do their stuff, I leave. The other people didn't have DJs. Proof had DJ Jules. And it was like, <clears throat> just ain't make no sense. I started just staying in for their sets, doing their cues and all that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, eventually, I guess Proof was paying attention. So they would have these meetings every week at the label. And uh, when I used to be there, they wouldn't invite me or nothing because I wasn't part of the label. Then one day, it was like, we want you to come to the meeting, drum. I mm-hmm. came over there, and uh, they did a vote. Proof was like, you know, if y'all want drum to be the DJ for the label, y'all let's do a raise of hands, and that's what he did. And that's how I officially became the uh, DJ for everybody. Okay, now, for people that don't know, when you think DJ – you know, you think the person is playing records at the party, but a performance DJ, um, yeah. working with you and working with uh, DJ Los especially too, yeah. is accenting the music a lot and almost, almost like a percussive, a percussive musician, like mm-hmm. adding sound effects and stopping and responding to where the rapper's at. Yeah. Uh, explain a little bit about how you learned to become a performance DJ and what that art form is. Sure. I would say just from watching um, watching like DJ Jews when he was doing it with Proof and um, being around the open mic scene at the time, because I was just very observative, kind of quiet, and uh-huh. I was watching how people would do their sets. Mm-hmm. When you know they going in and out with the beat, doing cuts or uh, backing them up, like that feel good, and you see how the crowd react to it, and you just pick up on things like, okay, that's what I need to do, and like you know, just even watching uh, proof as far as MCing, you pick up on things like, okay, type of things I need to take when I approach it, you know. So uh, just watching, that's how I kind of pick those things up. So as you talk about the watching and picking those things up, um, how did you go about applying a lot of your style as a performance DJ? Um, really just, I guess you could say with my, my personality, um, the way I was cutting, uh, the way I was interacting with the crowd, like not too much, but, you know, you could feel my presence with the beat. You know, that's the whole point because – just like uh, with any person in a band that got an instrument, you know, they get their solos and mm-hmm. everybody got to shine to a degree. Not necessarily be seen, but you got to be able to feel them in the performance. So I wanted my, I wanted to be felt in the performance, whether, like I said, I'm hitting the cues, I'm cutting, you know, stuff like that. And I don't think a lot of people at the time, they weren't the right, they weren't really doing that. Yeah, it's, it wasn't, a, it wasn't that present in the scene at the time. And I love sports analogies. It's like an offensive lineman. You, you're not paying attention to the offensive line when everything's going good. Mm-hmm. You don't even know why when you see certain perform, certain rappers with that right DJ, like how much that DJ adds to a rap performance. But 
it can if it's the right DJ. Yes. Oh, yeah. DJ Premier, man. <clears throat> as a producer and just as a DJ. Mm-hmm. I love watching him. Mm-hmm. Performance DJ-wise, my favorite, Kid Capri. Oh, my God. Okay. I watched. That was my inspiration. The Bad Boy concert. Just watching how fast he cut. <clears throat> uh-huh. That That's that stuff right there. Okay. So... As this goes, Iron Fist definitely has the biggest shakeup ever. Uh, Proofs murder. Um, and w- w- where are you at from there? From that point, um, because you know, I felt like uh, kind of felt like I knew what was what was gonna happen because we kind of had plans for certain things as far as just um, evolving the equipment. Um, like as far as DJ wise, we was gonna get some more DJ equipment. We had uh, projects that we was gonna work on, so I kind of was like, "Dang, kind of like you know, we gotta start all over." But at the same time, I just looked at it just like an opportunity, you know. Um, I don't know, just to go hard, I guess, because it was so many mixed emotions at the time. You know, it was just we were sad, kind of didn't know where to go. But I feel like with everybody, that music, just making music at the time was all you could do. Mm-hmm. And um, I think from that point, I realized, like, okay, I just got to go hard. I need to start my label. I need to find a way to identify myself, you know, uh, try to utilize some of these connections and these people I've met. Mm-hmm. And uh, that whole... Uh, workforce that Proof had, <clears throat> I would watch him at night, man. He would just work all night, uh-huh. have a thought and complete it, you know, right then and there. Like, I want to take all of that stuff moving forward mm-hmm. and apply it to what was to come, you know. And this is around the time we start working together in Crossing Paths. Exactly. And I introduced you to most of my network. I, I yep. introduced you to almost everybody I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, playing with live bands, um, just you know uh a lot of the stuff that i was doing and my approach to it um so we did that uh we did a project in honor of like some of barack obama's first messages yes we did a mixtape because a lot of people kind of didn't connect to what he was working on so we did that mixtape and that was before he was president right that That was was during election yeah that was during the election time so and this was like early on so this may have been 2007 when we did that project because a lot of people were like, who this dude? And exactly. I was like, okay, I read The Audacity of Hope and I got some quotes and we can mix this stuff together and we can deliver this message and package it. Yeah. And that project, that project did pretty well. Yeah. That was um, fun too. I was putting them cuts together with the with the messages. That was mm-hmm. cool, man. And I always like a challenge. Like mm-hmm. I like, you, you came with the theme and it was like, okay, yeah, all right, let's, let's do it. <laughs> and from that project, and, and I may just look, be looking at it from my lens, that also opens you up to when we were working at the 1440. Because I kind of look at your music career yes. in those sections of like, okay, Iron Fist <laughs> mm-hmm. and like uh, the drum set studio, 14, it, drum set studio, then like the 1440. Definitely, yes. Yes. So explain what, what's going on then in, in connecting there as even to this day we drive down that street service street or right across the street from eastern market um in a lot of ways 
we ushered in a lot of those people now that are there just through throwing a lot of parties. Come on, man. Goodness. So true. Yes. At that time, um, because it was uh, you, it was uh, Spina, mm-hmm. Nadir, mm-hmm. somebody else there it too. It was like Dave. Um, All original service streets. Yep. <laughs> yep. And um, me and you was meeting a lot, and we was doing a project, and you was telling me, like, uh, I started going there to just work, like, on my own sometimes, just to get out. Because mm-hmm. I was like, you can come use my studio if you wanted to. Exactly. So I started using it more and more. And then you was like, man, you might as well just go on and rent the room and go ahead and just, you know, stay there, too. So that's what happened. Um, I ended up taking the whole room and... I was doing my recording there, and uh, what happened, my lights had got cut off at my apartment. Mm-hmm. So I was there all the time, and I used to try to get there. <laughs> I used to try to go there after everybody was gone, like once mm-hmm. they there and everybody was gone. So I think he he realized, like, I was there sleeping all the time. Uh-huh. He's like, man, I'm like, what's up? I'm like, well, yeah, I'm here officially, you know, Kari said. Yeah. You know, so that's what happened. And... Nadir, he started, I don't know what he what he was doing before, but he wasn't there a lot, mm-hmm. you know, because he had his own thing. He was working, married. Mm-hmm. He would come, but it just wasn't as much as I was coming. And um, also at that time, uh, Nick Notion, you know, we was kind of doing a lot of the live from the drum set taping. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's my homie. He's just been hanging since then. And Nadir was saying he needed a... Uh, someone to do some video work for him mm-hmm. so nick was looking for a place to stay he was like offer him the room upstairs and that's how nick got in there so me and nick was there he running videos upstairs i'm running rehearsal i'm running studio time and then we started doing parties and then eventually nadir was like you know first he went up on that rent and then he like because y'all boys here all the time <laughs> and mm-hmm. then it got to the point where he was like you know, y'all might as well just go on and take over this because I'm not even here like that. You know, you, you got your own thing going. That's what ended up happening. End up, uh, that ended up becoming the 1440, our spot. And we had everybody coming through there recording and doing parties with. And even next door where I have my booth, and I ran the booth up over in the other room, but you kept it in the same room, too. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of things that could be done there. You could rehearse. You could do a show. Yeah, movie nights. Uh, dirties. Yeah. All of was, those. It was definitely an eventful, <laughs> it was an eventful location. So as you were getting into the flow of that and just kind of connecting with musicians outside of just the hip-hop scene, Cause that's where I was always connecting you to. Mm-hmm. One of the number one people, our neighbors on Service Street, I introduced you to, is who you work with a lot now, yeah. and that's Derek May. And Derek yes. May, shout out to D. Uh, that's my homie for forever, um, all the time. He's always been supportive. But I introduced you to D. Yes, that was, uh, and it was crazy, cause uh, I remember when we first went up there, <clears throat> and. Um, Man, just seeing all the turntables and all the plaques and the um, the equipment and the records, it was just like, dang. 
Yeah, yeah, like you it was walk amazing. Like a, yeah, like you know, Derek don't even give a damn about them platinum plaques. It's like they leaning on the wall. He's like, like, oh, uh, that's that's nothing, you know. Yeah, like like it's uh, like it's you know like a like, like junk mail, like the like the grocery store, <laughs> <laughs> like the grocery store thing that go out. You know, it's like I'm not even hanging that shit up. Man, that was uh, very inspiring, though I will say at that time, but. uh you would just you would never see him though, cause he's always out of town. You just kind of see him passing, yeah, passing and going through the years always. Yep, and most of the times when I would I was recording a project, he started just bouncing in as we were working. I was working with Ian on that notes of an artist activist project, and he would just bounce in all the time. Mm. And, and then Derek would give his notes in this Derek way. And, you know, he'd be like, man, you know, you got to do this. And then you'd be like, all right, D. (laughs) You know, real cool and everything. And then swing back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'm out. So so from from the 1440, Mm -hmm. what's next in your your musical journey? From that point, well, at that point, too, um, Cause you know I, I still had the drum set. Mm-hmm. Out of fourteen forty, I, I was living at the drum set, and we was doing the shows. That's also when um, me and Speed, you know, we got real cool because he lived in the Cash Corridor too. And I found out because I was just I was a big fan of Speed. You know, still is my big bro. Um, he uh, had an article in the newspaper, and me and my boy was looking, and we was like, "Yo, that's that building on such and such street." So when I realized he was in the neighborhood, I was like, man, I got to find Speed. And uh, he did a show, Northern Lights, with Majestic and Elzai. I ran into him. I'm like, yo, bro, let's link up. I live in the same neighborhood. And that's how me and Speed linked up. And it was uh, good with Speed being around uh, as a producer because I would go over his house. Man, he would play some beats for me. And I'd just be like, damn. Like, I got to go home and get on my shit. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And vice versa. Like, he'd come to my house and hear something. He'd be like, damn, Trump. Yeah. Like, yo, so, like, that little period was real cool. Uh-huh. Real good time. And uh, right then, that's when he started working with Brown. You know? Mm-hmm. So, this is, you asked what happened after that. Yeah. This is how, um, you know, I met Brown and the Bruisers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he was working with Speed. Um, doing the hot soup and speed was coming over every week. You know, I was hearing, yeah, I was hearing it, them sessions was coming together. Yeah, and BMO would be around all the time too. Yes, um, yes. And rest in peace, uh, Kwame, because Kwame would be around too. Oh yeah, um, yeah, Kwame, man. Yeah, those those days, uh, that was cool. Cause like I said, he would bring this stuff and we would listen. And like listening in, you just knew like man, Brown special. Like it's something different. Like yeah, this gonna blow. I ain't, I never heard you know anybody like that. Like you just hear something like man, this is something special about it. And Speed yeah. will bring over a new track every week and then uh-huh. put it together. <clears throat> and uh, you know, I met Brown and like the whole crew. And you know, we was all hanging out around that time. Just big fam. So that's when I got introduced to Dopehead. So during these fourteen forty days, um, we recording plaid palm trees. Uh, that's Dopehead's second mm-hmm. album. I was recording uh, features for Brown. 
mm-hmm. like a lot of the features he was doing for different artists. Um, I recorded Thanks Dilla mm-hmm. at um, at the fourteen forty. Um, yeah, that's that's that time period from like two thousand and nine. So probably like about I say like 12, 13, 13. Yeah, 12, yeah. 13. Yeah. And then you actually went on the road with Brown too. Yep, we did a few shows. Um going to like a South by Southwest. And when we say Brown, Danny Brown, um uh just one of the most charismatic hip hop artists ever, but definitely a staple for Detroit hip hop. Um Yeah. And his own unique flow. Man, and I, you know, I, I, I was there, man, you know, in the front seat. He always was breaking barriers. And, you know, he was taking the path that other people weren't taking, even when other people didn't even see it. You know, like, you got to respect his grind because he grinded. He worked for his. You know what I'm saying? I got a number of respect for Brown. Mm-hmm. Like, he cold with it. <laughs> True. So after, after your time with Brown, what's happening next? <clears throat> Um, so, you know, like I said, we courting our songs with the Bruisers, doing stuff with uh, Mike Luke. Um, I'm still making beats, you know, experimenting, but more tailored to the Bruiser stuff, you know. And this is uh, when my mom got sick. She had ended up having a stroke in hmm. 2014. Mm-hmm. So from that point, <clears throat> uh I just kind of stepped away because it was like right in the beginning of the year, 2014, ending out of 13. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved home. I moved at my mom's house. So I was staying in my apartment, staying with my mom's, and kind of taking care of her. And I stepped away from the music for a minute, you know. And uh, it's funny because as much as I'm involved in it, like I was, I just, I didn't have a the spirit for it or like i don't know it just wasn't there at that point in time you didn't have the the motivation yeah no motivation mm-hmm. I, I was just really just trying to be there for my mom and then i also started working with one x run at that time which was good too considering like i said how i kind of stepped back because it helped me financially you know be able to still maintain myself while mm-hmm. taking care of my mom and once again that was another um, that was something from the whole service street being at the 1440, you know, hooking up with them, with yeah. them moving there, you know. So that's another one of the fruits. But that's what happened during that time. Um, <clears throat> just stepped back. And, and when she passed, that was a, uh, I went through a whole nother year of like just grieving and tying to myself, uh, trying to get my life right. And after uh, the second year when her birthday passed, I was just like, you know, I'm about to go hard. I'm about mm-hmm. to put this behind me. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when I did the People Mover, the People Mover Project. People Mover is like a, that was like a compilation showing what where I'm about to go because it had a mix of like the new stuff I was working on, kind of like techno-ish, ghetto tech. And, and had, that's really kind of where you were really hitting that spin. Anyway, that's what, dance music from like hip hop yeah straight hip hop yeah i was playing with it anyway you know kind of like doing yeah, you the, were going there the brother time but like i said uh it just i wasn't focusing it like that <clears throat> and then uh-huh. taking the break um 
I just left it alone. So when I was like coming back, mm-hmm. I gotta like um, hone my sound and brand my sound, and you know, just try to come different. So that's what it was. And I wanted to focus more on the music. Like I've been working with rappers um, through open mic. You know, my house has been a studio for over ten years. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. I've worked with some of everybody coming up. Yep. <clears throat> and uh, I felt like you know this time I just want to focus on drummer B and making sure because a lot of times I would get lost and it's cool you know but I felt like a lot of times like I said my name or like the music get lost within the artist yeah. so I want to make sure this time coming out. Well, that and um, when you're running a studio as an engineer and you're still an independent artist or producer yourself, sometimes you, you're taking in so much energy. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm sounding yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I know I'm sounding real hippie-ish right here. but No, it's so true. You're taking in <clears throat> so much energy that you're no longer like in your own creative process. So you're, yeah. you're listening to this rapper, like, for instance, rap about their favorite car. And you're listening and you're thinking like, damn, I think he should do this or he should do that or she should do this or she should do that. And that's going to impact and influence or possibly could. I know it, with me, I think it did what my next recording would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not thinking to myself, what do I want to do as much as it's like, I, let me do a better version of or, you know, let me let me bring to life some of the things that they didn't see in this picture. Or like just draining the energy because, you know, I'm ready to do my session, too. You know what I'm saying? And I got to spend my time. I didn't drain myself yeah. doing take after take, having to keep going back and punch in. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, man, you know what? I'll do mine tomorrow. You know? I, got, uh, <laughs> I got a phone call the other day about a kid that wants to be a producer, too. And that's the other thing. It's kind of you like the, uh, you like Kenny Mack in a sense of. Yeah. Um, especially with rap, because theoretically, it's some rappers that are amazing at rapping, but then they get in the booth like. Recording is a totally is different another art form. Yes, it's so and it's some true. great rappers that like in a freestyle and a cipher on the street. You're like, man, it, that guy's talented. Yes, but then you get the beat and it's like, okay, because they ain't used to not hearing themselves on the mic and all yes. that. That and that, and that like, stuff messes with is, you unless you train. Timing, you know. Uh, Nipsey Hussle uh, talked a little bit about that, and even Jay Z with Reasonable Doubt. Like some rappers just rap through it, mm-hmm. but Reasonable yeah. Doubt is a classic example of a project where it's just the rappers just. Yeah, yeah. Bodie James has like some of his work, early works. It's just like, like hey, Danny Brown, Brown watch, too. Like no, thing. no structure, no bar format, no, you know. So when you're the producer or engineer, you're sometimes piecing that together. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've seen that straight out of Compton movie where they was just like, all right, easy, just say a line, stop. Yeah, yeah. Say the next line, stop. Yeah. You, you know, and it's like, damn, why, why can't you just? Ain't that simple for everybody as 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 much as it seemed like it, but it, it don't be like that. You get in front of that mic, and it'd be a whole nother story, man. And Lord, it, it can be times. Uh, I'll be not enough. Where you, where you sometimes see a rapper try to redo a verse, or because they can't get it right. I don't know for an hour and a half. Easy, no, like that's sixteen sure. lines just can't get it, or. You know the the oh man you were you were right your your studio was right dab in the middle of everybody not wanting to be Jay Z like I don't I don't write rhymes oh my which God. was the worst everybody want to be punched <laughs> in too man don't know how to keep up with the beat 
and punch bit, punch in with it. Like, ah, oh, it was a lot of work. Them, you know, that's some draining stuff. But it was cool. I learned a lot from them experience. It's, it paid. It paid. Uh, it paid for what I definitely know. It 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 kept me afloat at a certain age. Like well, I sure. say, when I was running for my sure, studio, sure. probably like nineteen to twenty three. Uh, 24 like, <clears throat> Shout out to all them people That helped me Yeah And I used yes, to look at you Cause you were around that age And I was like Boy more power to you Cause some <laughs> of these dudes Just don't even have their shit Anybody who know If you was in Midtown Anybody who Been around in that area Everybody in recorded At my house man yep. Everybody man Goodness yep. I didn't have no time That's why now man I, I appreciate my time man to When my you time. actually <laughs> work On your own craft Oh my god It's so, totally different so from the People Mover project, what happens next? So from there, I'm like, I want to DJ overseas. You know, I'm like, I like to DJ overseas. How do you do that? And uh, one of the things, if you're just not a super popular DJ, mm-hmm. um, you gotta at least have like a, a project. You need an album. You know what I'm saying? And not just anything. You need a vinyl. Mm-hmm. You need a vinyl to get in the game, <clears throat> and then yeah. also around this time, let's let's be, let's yeah, your partner, which uh, which I was shocked out my mind when it charted too, because Speed through I met Speed through you, mm-hmm. and he's been one of my closest homies since too. Just great energy and everything. Speed's vinyl charted. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, for sure, sure did. With and my, we was shocked out our mind, like damn mahogany music, you know, Moody Man, you know, yeah, it's. And, like, certain people, they have a platform. As soon as they stuff come out, like, people was, they buying it off rip. And that's the point you want to get yourself. That didn't come overnight. Like, that's years of putting out material, taking chances, your own money, and putting out good music to where people trust it. And they, like, they buying it. So, you know, Speed was able to get that. You know, he was fortunate to get that. And, yeah, we was happy. And that was inspiration. Like, dog, like. I need to get vinyl out, you know. And uh, like I said, I want to go overseas and to DJ. <clears throat> so that was one of the first things one of my uh, my OGs told me, you know. Get that get that vinyl out. That's like your business card, really, you know. And what did you do to go about for that? Um, in the beginning, you know, you got the big brothers down at uh, UR. You know, you underground got, resistance, Kern, Matt, Mike. Um, yep, it was Corn and uh, Mike and uh, YG, but Corn specifically. Um, I was going to him, you know, just like man, could y'all put out my album? You know, and he was like, man, you know, it's not that simple. Yeah, you know, <laughs> sounds like what Corn would say. <laughs> we started laughing, like, you know, it's not that simple. You know, we got other releases, and you know, you got to pay for this, and you got to. I was like, man, like, even though, like, I come and bring them the music, like, but ain't the music dope? Like, that's fine. The music is good. But, you know, you got this process you got to go through. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he was just encouraging me, like, you know, you should do it on your own. You know, find a way to get the record done. And then, you know, then come back. I'll help you with some resources. So when he said that, I was like, hmm. I, like, I got to find a way to do this myself. So from that point. Uh, I was working at One X Run still, and um, One X Run, they work with artists from all over the world, you know. Uh, they do murals in the market, um, spend, what, five years now, mm-hmm. bringing in artists from everywhere, 
and each each print or each artist you know they will have a budget you know to get the job done for the printing or for the artist cost or whatever and um i was thinking like you know if i could get one x run to put out my project like a art project you know you know i'm gonna present that to him so i was able to present to one x run my idea as a project and i was able to get funding through them we also made um 50 limited edition ones that was hand painted by uh ron zacharin so that's when you see my cover that uh space spaceman the suit that's an actual canvas painting mm -hmm. you know and if you go to one x run right now you can get the print you can get the vinyl or you can get the hand embellished ones so that's how I sold it. <clears throat> I sold it as a print, but the budget was enough for me to get my whole thing printed up. You know, I was able to get my my whole album printed up, and that's how I did it independently. So when I came back to Corn, it's like, yo, you like, you got it all done. Like, you, I'm like, it'll be here in a few weeks. This the album, this the masters. <clears throat> so he just started giving me game. Him and Mike, you know. Just telling me routes I should go and, you know, telling me how they did it. And, you know, it was just encouraging being around them dudes and just getting that advice. So that's where I went. Once I released it myself, uh, just started selling it, getting it to the retailers, you know, doing my own information, getting the log of all the retailers in the city, um, using the relationships I done built over the years. And, um, yeah, selling them boys just hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And what connects you with Derek at that point? So uh, when I did that people mover, um, also, well, let me take back to 1X Run. We were having a block party for the meals in the market, <clears throat> and I was the DJ for it. And the block party is on Service Street. Um, I didn't know when I was DJing that Derek was there. Carl Craig was there. Mm -hmm. I was DJing for a few hours and then he came up to me and was like, yo, man, I've been listening. I like what you're doing. Keep doing your thing. I'm going to be checking out for you. Mm -hmm. The next day, I seen him come on the block. I ran to him and gave him one of my People Mover CDs. He uh -huh. took that CD. I didn't hear from him for months or see him. Mm -hmm. Hit me up like a couple days before Christmas like, yo, man, I've been listening to the CD. Man, let's do something next year. You know, let's talk about a project or anything. And that was the reintroduction. Um, at that point, Space Bounce was already being manufactured. I was waiting to pick it up from Archer. Mm -hmm. So that next year, I was able to take him Space Bounce. And he was like, even before that, sorry, before I got it, before I got it all the way manufactured, Jonathan Taylor, JT, mm -hmm. um, the Grio, you know, yeah. he stays. Um, on service street too yeah and one day we were up there listening to music and Derek came up there i was actually playing the test preston and uh i didn't know Derek that good but we was letting the record play and uh he started asking about the music and the comment that he made ended up being the headline the liner notes on the back of my album jt wrote it out because i wanted that whole jazz feel and you know jt being the grill who he is who yeah. he is yeah. it was only right <clears throat> so yeah that's um how space bounce 
that's how he got his liner notes on there. Mm-hmm. And that's how, you know, that whole timing kind of collided with us meeting, too. And and then from there, working together. When did you all start working together? It was uh, literally like right after that, after Space Bounce was done. Once I realized that we was going to move forward on doing the project, I started working on tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, I had just got my MPC live. So, you know, during that time, back on the producer side of things, now let's take it back to where you got the MPC guys and then you got the Fruity Loops, the Reason guys. I was kind of stuck in this period of like, I'm not giving up my MPC, but I am not about to get on this laptop because it's yeah. not the same feel. Mm-hmm. Akaya came out with that MPC studio, that live, to where they can incorporate the software. Yeah. With the MPC and it could be standalone now, mm-hmm. so I got that live and it just took the game to the to the next level. And that's when I made uh, the Diamond Project, mm-hmm. um, and I called it the Diamond Project because um, you know, like a diamond, a diamond is made through pressure, you know, time, uh, heat, and like I felt like that kind of signified my career. Just over the time, mm-hmm. being able to withstand the pressure of, you know, the different elements that it came. Um, and I feel like this is t- the time to shine like a diamond. So that's why I called that Project Diamonds, because now I'm about to bring it out on the world platform and shine like I need to be. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So where you at with it now? What's what's next? What you working on? Uh, diamond Project was brought, it was broken up into two. Mm-hmm. So next year, 2020, mm-hmm. Diamond Project EP2 will be coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I'll be releasing a live vinyl mm-hmm. for my uh, first live show I did in Amsterdam this year. And um, another album called Movement that I'm going to release independently. So three releases, two from Soul Touch, one Transmat. Mm-hmm. Um, and also uh, more shows, more touring for next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, first time was um, in Europe was you know just a few months ago, and uh, it's been a problem just trying to get into that market because they don't understand you know the angle I'm coming from with me being like hip hop. Yeah, I'm not exactly techno or house, so it took a minute. But now you know once I went over there, they know what's going on and be perceived and they know what's up so next year it's looking good that's why i'm ready to get this album out and you know get this this show and and that's another thing like i had to change my show you know i'm now performing live i'm not i'm not even djing like so when i'm here when i do my stuff here i'm djing but when i go and perform anywhere else i'm doing a live set where i got my mpc live I got me a 16-track board. I got me an effects board. I got my vocal box. Mm-hmm. And I'm playing the whole 90 minutes, hour and 30, uh, 20 minutes, mm-hmm. playing the beat live, breaking it down. Yeah. You know, and that's that was one of the things Derek was telling me. You know, he was like, I don't want you to concentrate on that DJing. Like, concentrate on being a performance artist. Because that's another thing, like, people don't realize you get to a certain level. And even when you get to 
certain level overseas, you know, you can get caught in the DJ loop. It's levels of that, you know, that we look at from um, from here, like it's good. But, you know, once you get to a certain level, it's like, man, you know, I'm stuck here. Uh-huh. So you, I'm, I'm trying to broaden myself by being a performance artist mm-hmm. and I'm not just a DJ. It's, it's different, you know. And I like it because okay. ain't nobody else doing it like that. So, you know, it also brings a different niche. So, like I said, Derek pushed me to go like that, like just to go live. And that was something I didn't even know I had in me, but psh, it's like opened up a whole nother animal and just ready to go hard with it next year. Okay. All right. So we're going to come to an end of this. I'm going to hit you with classic Detroit's different questions. And thank you so much for the interview. Um, classic question one. Um, what was your very first car? Uh, year making model. What year did you get? Corsica, 11th grade. I think it was like it was blue. Uh-huh. I think it was like a 92 or something. And I had to put the fender on that boy myself. Okay. I had to earn it. <laughs> How, um, where was the first place you went when you got it? To the Dollar Show, Universal Mall. Ah, the Dollar Show, <laughs> Universal Mall. That's a real movie theater now. That's where we saw us. Uh, <laughs> I, think I, I was a geek. MJR. Yeah. Yeah, you was you was rolling the dice going that far. You must have been on a date or something. Yeah, yeah I was. Yeah, I was like, you was rolling the dice going that far. You know, as soon as you get you a car, you ready to go on that date the next day. <laughs> All right. Um, DJing. At the end of the Detroit Fireworks, you get to play three songs. What three songs you playing? And you at Woodward and Jefferson. <laughs> I'm going to play. Okay. <laughs> I roll my niggas, get high with my niggas. Okay, so you're going to play Street Lords. I'm going to play Street Lords. Then I'm going to play. I'm going to play Shari Vari. Okay. And then I'm going to play. Time travel, my song. Mm. And the last question: If you could rename Woodward after one Detroiter, who would it be and why? Rename Woodward. I will rename it with. Dang, that's a good one. <sighs> he already got a street, but I would say Barry Gordy. Okay, I got you, Barry Gordy. Cause as he made that pipeline, Woodward is like a pipeline. Everything okay. connect to. I'm with it. Well, thank you so much. We're going to have more to go. Um, and we're going to keep this in the mix. Yes, sir. All right, peace. Peace.